0: Happy Holidays! Welcome to the Servative Hour, an hour of political commentary, and I do hope you call in to comment. The phone number is 402-474-5086. And the topic for this December 13th, 2022 is the Twitter files Ha. Now last week it was the Klebe versus Carrie Kerfuffle. Brouhaha is a word synonymous with the kerfuffle. And uh, brouhaha is defined as an episode involving excitement, Confusion, turmoil, etc., especially a broil over a minor or ridiculous cause, and it's listed as being synonymous with uh, commotion, hubbub, kerfuffle, or even a uh, hullabaloo which was an excellent live music program from the early 60s through the mid 60s. And I don't know if you've heard about the Twitter files, brouhaha, but conservative movement media is saying that they want a town square all voices can be heard, and they're very upset that anyone has advertised that and not delivered on the promise. Well, from the start of right-wing radio and other audio-video media of the conservative movement, they have made the claim that they put liberals... Whom they are now referring to as socialists or communist leftists uh, critics anyway that they put those people who might criticize or differ with them at the front of the line when it comes to their callers of course anyone who's listened to it for any time at all knows that's a lie that They created those platforms so they could have a place where they could uh, float things that were not true without any fear that anyone could possibly challenge them on anything. Limbaugh wouldn't have lasted more than a season if he'd taken real phone calls, and it became apparent that he wasn't in any way taking real phone calls when he had his uh, brief TV program, which was obviously pre-recorded, yet he would pretend to take live calls on the air. In truth, these were all, as they are on the syndicated shows, scripted shills. And, trolling the lie that anyone could call in and challenge him on anything, with half his brain tied behind his back, ready to take on any challenge. You know that never has happened, never will, because they also troll the audience by saying that, uh, and admitting that the callers were there to make the host look good. So there would never be a caller who could possibly make the host look bad by pointing out a few simple facts that would show they were lying so when they say that all they want is a town square where all voices can be heard they've never wanted a town square where all voices can be heard they want to be able to dominate all town squares and not be challenged or have a disclaimer put on what they say they want to be able to have uh, private companies carry their false and misleading information and their insults and threats and be able to get away with it and uh, force those companies to carry them so when they uh, object that a private company or social media is not allowing all voices to be heard. What they mean is that uh, they're performing content moderation where those who violate their uh, rules of service it's suspended or or banned for uh, lying, threatening, insulting, and... uh, of course the ones who are doing the most lying and threatening and insulting are conservatives and as I say the number here is 402 474 5086 if you might uh, differ with that the idea that conservative movement media only pretends that they will let anyone uh call into them and challenge them on anything but uh no they have uh, scripted shows who uh will play all kinds of roles repeating roles the uh new convert who just came over from the other side because of the latest thing they heard the longtime fan and course the critics you can always tell they'll have annoying voices and they will either make you think they're going to actually bring it and then do a major fail do a weakened version of an argument which the host can easily overcome or end up uh, kissing the hosts posterior in spite of what the their call might have been advertised as as being a uh, person of different opinion. It's an infomercial. There are no differences of opinion allowed. The only criticism you might ever hear is that they're not being nearly conservative enough. There's a lot of that. Well, on to the first article I have lined up on this topic of the Twitter Files Brouhaha. This is from Wired.com. The Transparency Theater of the Twitter Files. Far from exposing the nefarious inner workings of the platform, the files reveal an ethos of, quote, transparency for thee, but not for me. This is from December 12, 2022. The Twitter files are to journalism what cosplay is to superheroism, an occasionally convincing imitation of the real thing. Though I shouldn't insult cosplayers, so they bring joy and beauty to public life, while the Twitter files are merely proving to be grist for the likes of QAnon and other extremely online individuals addicted to viral outrage. The latest round, this time curated by ex-New York Times editor Barry Weiss, was meant to show that Twitter did indeed engage in the dreaded shadow banning of far-right, imagining, and discriminate against conservative accounts by completely hiding them from the general public in an act of woke censorship perpetrated at the highest levels. But Weiss revealed both less and more than she wished, and in the process helped confirm what should already have been obvious after Matt Taibbi's first round of Twitter files posting. The confected scandals supposedly revealed by this PR-friendly access to Twitter's internal systems, offers a theatrical transparency that occludes the lack of the real thing under Musk's leadership. Part of the problem lies in the actual definition of shadow ban. The term has come to mean whatever people want it to mean, with all the ideologically useful flexibility of words like woke. This has allowed Musk's right-wing fans to play gotcha with an old tweet from Twitter HQ that categorically denied shadow banning. But aha, they seem to say, now intrepid journalist Barry Weiss has shown that this is not so. Weiss took advantage of this deliberate, slippery, slipperiness when she claimed quote what many people call shadow banning twitter executives and employees call visibility visibility filtering or vf and implied her sources said they were exactly the same thing but all she showed was that twitter was doing what it had always said it was doing first and foremost visibly filtering covers everything including using user-generated filtering if you've blocked or muted anyone they've been visibly filtered for you in company parlance it also covers the way tweets from openly suspended accounts would be rendered invisible to the public without linking to it we selectively quotes from this 2018 twitter blog post by former trust and safety lead Vijaya Gadi and former product lead, K. Yavan K. Kapoor, where they categorically said, quote, People are asking us if we shadow ban. We do not. End quote. The trouble for the mob is that there are more words in this post. Gedi and Be Kapoor set forth a clear definition of shadow banning. Quote, deliberately making someone's content undiscoverable to everyone except the person who posted it, unbeknownst to the original poster. This, they asserted, was not done, and nothing in the Twitter files proves otherwise. Musk enthusiasts have deemed this mere Weasley wordplay, but, shockingly, there are still more words in this blog post to wit. Quote, We do rank tweets and search results. We do this because Twitter is most useful when it's immediately relevant. These ranking models take many signals into consideration to best organize tweets for timely relevance. We must also address bad faith actors who intend to manipulate or detract from healthy conversation. End quote. This ranking is explained in further detail with examples and an FAQ about a recent incident where some Republican politicians, along with Democratic politicos and a whole lot of other non conservatives, were temporarily unable to auto suggested to be auto suggested through search. That was quickly fixed, but Gaddy and Bekurpur were clear that Twitter always had ...and always would engage in ranking and filtering based on a variety of factors. In other words, the thing that we actually, quote, uncovered... ...was something Twitter admitted to over four years ago. It's even in Twitter's terms of service. In short, no one's tweets were unfindable to the public without the poster knowing about it. If they were suspended or banned, naturally they'd be aware... The amplification affecting a person's rankings in search results and the like, is rather different. Some might call it freedom of speech, but not freedom of reach. The people playing somatic games are Musk, Musk and his propagandists, performing a pantomime of transparency while glossing over a range of issues. Matt Taibbi revealed that the Trump administration made requests of Twitter all the time. But we know nothing about what they were, which were acted on, and why We revealed that. The transphobic account libs of TikTok was actually being given preferential treatment. No moderation decision could be made about the account without consulting higher-ups, a privilege afforded to very few on the platform, and doubtlessly implemented to avoid upsetting the ever-voluble online right. Why? But more than that, there has been absolutely no transparency about Musk's decision-making since his arrival. Where are his emails? When can we gain insight into how he's single-handedly made numerous content moderation decisions already? When will be When will we be allowed to verify that his public statements match his private reasoning? When will we learn how critical decisions about staffing were made? The answer is likely never, in the absence of effective legal action. Musk's Potemkin transparency is meant only to flatter him by ginning up false scandals about Twitter's previous leadership, whom, it must be noted, he has made rather rich with his purchase. It paints a fictive image of Twitter as a dictatorship that Musk has liberated to the adulation of cheering masses. That aside, from its general utility to the right-wing's bottomless politics of grievance and self-victimization, is the chief aim of this entire enterprise. For the populist right, it offers a Zeno's paradox of a conspiracy where the ultimate revelation is just one more viral Twitter thread away. It is difficult to take people seriously when they complain about Twitter having been led by a group of titled individuals with managerial responsibilities making management decisions while they simultaneously cheer the consolidation of those tasks in the hands of one man. What Musk offers is not transparency, it is caprice. His idiosyncratic whims for which we can only take his word without any mechanism of appeal or accountability are the content moderation policy it beggars belief that anyone could see this as an improvement this mirrors the broader fiction about the takeover promulgated by musk's fans that he has somehow emancipated the company and made it more democratic and accountable but in corporate governance terms, he has simply moved from the oligarchic democracy of a publicly traded company, which not for nothing was required by law to disclose a great many things to the public, to he's moved it to a personal dictatorship. What he dreams of is freedom from any accountability. He's not liberating the people. He's liberating himself. Taking Twitter private was not about ensuring he'd not be... Taking Twitter private was about ensuring he'd not be accountable to shareholders or a board and that he could disclose only what he wanted. In a typically brazen move, without granting ideologically captured stenographers unfettered access to Twitter's tools to promote a message he approved of, he sent an email threatening his own staff with legal action if they ever leaked anything. Transparency, indeed. Musk dreams of a world where no one tells him no it's a sophistic dream shared by too many of his fans the sort of people who worship at Musk's feet online especially his newfound cadre of right-wing posters are the sort whose every accusation is a confession or an aspiration rest assured that everything they have falsely accused Twitter of doing is what they seek to do to their many ideological enemies. Indeed, it's already happening. With no transparency about the reasoning, no clear terms of service violation to cite, and no process of appeal, his every move is a mockery of the idea of transparency. Is the public afraid that Musk's gutting of content moderation staff and... CSAM teams in particular will lead to a surge in such vile material just falsely imply your former co-workers of covering for pedophiles right-wing populists steeped in QAnon conspiracies will cheer you on you will look revolutionary and all the while things will just get steadily worse the one potentially good thing to come out of this mess is Musk's pledge to make Twitter's VF more visible to end users, telling them if they're being deranked and why. I'd actually welcome this, but it's just another Musk promise, as with all else, one which has to watch what Musk does rather than what he tweets, and what he's doing points in an unsettling direction. Musk's most enthusiastic supporters live in a delusional dystopia of their own making, now they want revenge for the imagined slights. It won't be pretty. And that article can be found on Wired.com under the headline The Transparency Theater of the Twitter Files. It's now 11.24 a.m. Central Standard Time. And the sign here says to please encourage listeners to donate for the end of your giving. And please donate to end of your giving. You can go to kzum.org and donate there anytime. Now, in a moment, we'll have... uh, Jack Dorsey warns against attacks on Twitter staff and dedicates $1 million a year to Signal. While I'm playing the song, I'll have to look up what Signal is. Jack Dorsey warns against attacks on Twitter staff and dedicates $1 million a year to Signal. And now that we know what Signal is... That will help in the understanding of what he's donating $1 million a year to. This is by Devin Coldewey from uh, today, December 13th, 2022. Twitter founder Jack Dorsey issued a warning on the social networks, state, and prospects, saying it meets none of the standards he hoped to achieve, and that harassment of its staff is short-sighted and dangerous. It's time to move on, as he said before, and to that end, he's funding new efforts in open interest development, starting with $1 million per year to Signal. Starting a Twitter thread, but quickly transitioning to a blog post, he wrote, uh, Dorsey said that he hoped His hope to build a Twitter according to his wishes died in 2020 with the entrance of an unnamed activist investor. Mm, who could that be? Perhaps with the initials E.M.? Quote, I planned my exit at that moment knowing I was no longer right for the company, he wrote. The principles he had hoped to build on, resilience to corporate and government control, User-controlled content, with no exceptions, and algorithmic moderation are not present in today's Twitter, nor in the one he led, he admitted. Even so, he wrote that contrary to the insinuations accompanying the so-called Twitter files, quote, there was no ill intent or hidden agendas, and everyone acted according to the best information we had at the time. The various threads have been very selective in what they show and what they redact, while casting certain staff, particularly former head of Trust and Safety, Yoel Roth, as being power mad and agenda driven. Roth reportedly experienced harassment in person serious enough that he had to temporarily leave his home. On the whole, there is little new in what has been published. Beyond a handful of convenient scapegoats for imagined abuse. And then, skipping on to the end of this article, putting his money where his mouth is, he announced that he'll start by funding Signal, definitely resilient to governments, <clears throat> to the tune of $1 million per year. More grants are forthcoming, he said and solicited recommendations. And fortunately, since what appeared to be his personal email was inadvertently published by Matt Taibbi in the first Twitter Files thread, everyone should be able to get in touch with him. And uh, that article can be found on Yahoo.com under the headline, Jack Dorsey Warns Against Attacks on Twitter Staff and dedicates 1 million dollars a year to Signal. And getting back to my original point, how dare the movement the call it calls itself conservative complain about someone advertising that they have a public a town square where all voices can be heard? And well, some people who've violated terms of service like uh, inciting and directing a violent insurrection to overthrow the legitimate government of the United States, well, they get banned. But, of course, the conservative movement media from the start created their platforms, such as the Rush Limbaugh show, or Fox News in order to have a place where uh, no dissenting voices could ever possibly be heard. They are infomercials and when they say they, oh, put uh, liberals at the front of the line when they're taking calls, that's a lie. You will only hear people who are actors being shills. A shill is someone who's in on the con but pretends to be not in on the con. Doing a Either, as I said, kissing the host's posterior, or doing a uh, weakened version of an argument and then a great fail. Or uh, playing whatever role it takes to make the host look good and to never make them look bad by pointing out how much they are lying. Yes, no one can point out they are lying. However, they want to be able to lie on other people's platforms. Their own are not nearly enough for that. They want to have the government force those private companies to carry their lies, their insults, their threats, their uh, plots of overthrowing the uh, legitimate government of the United States even. And uh, of course, Elon Musk himself is throwing people off Twitter. If just they will post that uh, people at a Chappelle show were laughing at Elon Musk And posting videos of that would be enough to get you banned from that platform. So much for a town square where all voices can be heard. Why news organizations are largely skeptical of Elon Musk's Twitter Files Theater. This is from CNN.com. By Oliver Darcy from Monday, December 12th, 2022. It's a huge bombshell with stunning revelations. Or is it? With the so-called Twitter files, Elon Musk is openly engaged in a game of information warfare, one that is shining a spotlight on the fragmented and partisan state of the modern-day media landscape. Led by Fox News, the right-wing media machine is treating the ongoing series of stories as if they were the next Pentagon Papers, breathlessly hyping each new batch of documents as earth-shattering scoops that illuminate horrific abuses of power by woke Twitter overlords of yesteryear. In that distorted universe, Musk is being hailed as a hero at the center of one of the biggest stories of 2022. The establishment press, however, has shown far less interest in the documents themselves, with most news organizations outright ignoring various entries in the continuing series. The right-wing media apparatus pushing the story has naturally asserted that the mum reaction is effectively because the mainstream press is made up of left wing hacks who want to hide the truth from the public but of course the truth is far more complicated with news organizations having good reason to view the different drops with a skeptical eye the chief reason most news organizations aren't up in arms about the story is because the releases have largely not contained any revelatory information. So far, the files have failed to do much outside, highlighting exactly how messy content moderation can be, especially when under immense pressure and dealing with the former president of the United States. That was the case on Monday, when the fifth installment of the Twitter Files were released, revealing some of the behind-the-scenes debate that preceded Donald Trump's ban. Gerald Baker, the conservative former top editor of the Wall Street Journal, wrote Monday, quote, The Twitter Files tell us nothing new. There's no shocking revelation in there about government censorship or covert manipulation by political campaigns. They merely bring to the surface the internal deliberations of a company dealing with complex issues in ways consistent with its values. End quote. The lack of explosive new details is coupled with the fact that Musk refuses to open up the Twitter files to the press at large. Instead of providing multiple news outlets with access to the documents and Twitter personnel, he has instead opted to exclusively share them with writers of his own choice. In other words, Musk has rely- relied on a set of hand-picked gatekeepers, gatekeeping writers to cover the story while keeping the raw materials and content locked away from the rest of the news media and broader public. That has, without question, increased skepticism. There is a downside, however, to newsrooms generally choosing to avoid the Twitter files mess. Doing so allows the saga to become defined by, honest, by dishonest actors in right-wing media. When I searched Google for the term Twitter files... The top three stories on Monday were from Fox News, the New York Post, and the Washington Examiner. The right is flooding the zone with a warped interpretation of each new release, while the rest of the press turns a blind eye toward each installment. If you're just a regular person trying to make sense of what is going on, it can be awfully difficult, and the solution isn't so clear. On one hand, if newsrooms covered each installment, they risk giving air to and further amplifying a storyline that has been selectively framed by Musk as he wages an information war. On the other hand, not dissecting each drop allows him and others to define it in the public square. It's a difficult needle, needle to thread, arguably with no perfect solution. And of course, that article can be found on cnn.com under the headline, Why News Organizations Are Largely Skeptical of Elon Musk's Twitter Files Theater. Well, phone number here for this call-in radio show is 402-474-5086. If you have any opinions on the... Uh, Twitter, files, brew, ha, ha. Okay, I had an actual caller, but they called in during the song and didn't have time to be on the air. But I'm very happy because now I know that the phone works. And if you would like to help uh, test the phone too, the phone number is 402-474-5086. And uh, the caller, although I had a little difficulty hearing since I had the song playing loudly and wasn't certain exactly how to turn it down in the studio, uh, was, uh, asking about Matt Taibbi and, uh, giving my opinion. I said, I considered him to be right along there with, uh, Glenn Greenwald and Tulsi Gabbard as, uh, people who were, uh, useful idiots on the left for Putin Trump and, uh, mainly have their platform on, uh, Tucker Carlson. Matt Taibbi lived in uh, Russia for a while, and uh, I used to use him long ago when he was in Rolling Stone, when he was reporting on the Iraq War. Uh, but then I came to realize that he was anti-government of the United States, no matter what the situation might be, and mainly sides with the old uh, Eastern Bloc and the Third World in his writings. So sure, I don't uh, use him anymore. No, nope, not Matt Taibbi. And there are good reasons why Rolling Stone got rid of him. And now he writes on Substack and appears on the right-wing media machine and mainly seems to work for Elon Musk in, you know, supporting uh, Putin-Trump. So, to Matt Taibbi, (coughs) don't like him. No, not at all. Maybe you picked up on that. All right, from... uh, Oh, here's a good one by Matt Taibbi from wonket.com T- Quote, Twitter files, unquote, wasn't dumb enough, so Musk and Taibbi bring in ringer Barry Weiss. This is by Liz Die from December 7th, 2022. And really, caller, thank you for calling in, and I would like to uh, debate that with you anytime on the air and uh, have even more material assembled on... Uh, Matt Taibbi. And I think there's a few links in this article, which go to some of the things I was referring to, as well as for uh, Barry Weiss. On Friday, Elon Musk fanboy, Matt Taibbi, who used to be a real reporter, but is now something else. I wonder what it links to on the something else. Let me see that. Oh, from the Washington Post. The two expat bros who terrorized women correspondents in Moscow. Yes, he was living in Moscow for a long time. And, uh, it looks like now it's popped up that I either subscribe or else. Sorry, Washington Post, I can't use you then. But anyway, yeah, he, uh, terrorized uh, women correspondents in Moscow. And I would imagine he, uh, still works for Moscow. And, uh... For the conservative movement, because of course the conservative movement for, works for Moscow and Moscow, along with all the other, uh, you know, old Eastern Bloc and uh, you know, corrupt criminal dictatorships. Because hey, where are you going to have your transactions easily done unless it's with a corrupt criminal dictatorship when you yourself are a corrupt criminal world would-be dictator? And that's where Matt Taibbi's heart is. <clears throat> On Friday, Elon Musk fanboy Matt Taibbi, who used to be a real reporter but is now something else, dropped what he promised was going to be earth-shattering news about Twitter's suppression of the Hunter Biden laptop story on October 14, 2020. In the event it failed to land, disappearing like a fart into the ether, even wingers like Sebastian Gorka pronounced themselves, quote, deeply underwhelmed. But Taibi has an explanation for that, and it's not that Twitter execs debated in real time about how to deal with what appeared to be Russian disinformation, opting briefly to censor it, which ultimately ensured that it would be Streisand-affected into wide dissemination long before the election. No, he's blaming the evil Democrats who somehow got a mole into Twitter to ruin his supposedly giant scoop. And... I want to uh, read about that Strysand effect thing. So, in case you didn't know what that is, let me go back to that. Okay, the Strysand effect is a phenomenon that occurs when an attempt to hide, remove, or censor information has the unintended consequence. Of increasing awareness of that information, often via the internet, and uh, that has to do with uh, when uh, Barbara Streisand, who's attempts to suppress the California Coastal Records Project's photograph of her clifftop residence in Malibu, California, taken to document California coastal erosion, inadvertently drew greater attention to the photograph in 2003. And, uh, of course, saying, uh, please don't show my home caused her home to be shown much more than it would have been otherwise. Okay. And, oh, speaking of the Hunter Biden laptop thing, I posted on my own Facebook account under Brian Mary, I thought I had it here, but maybe I don't. Okay. Well, anyway, never mind. Back to the article. Yesterday, Taibi tapped out a thread he captioned, Twitter Files Supplemental, in which he breathlessly reported that on Tuesday... Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Among the reasons? Vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management. Okay, first of all, it takes some blank to call your five paragraph book report, which cuts and pastes individual lines from emails totally out of context without attaching the actual documents. As the Twitter files a more apt appellation would be normal blank that we're calling nefarious because we know our audience is dumb although admittedly it doesn't exactly roll off the tongue second of all yeah no blank the general counsel wanted to vet internal documents before releasing them to a reporter that's kind of his job you disingenuous hack referring to Matt Taibbi as a disingenuous hack with which I would agree oh sure he did a lot of things during the Iraq war to uh, really give it to the United States government and its national security apparatus because uh, it's kind of what he always does no matter what the situation because he works for Moscow and Donald Trump and the conservative movement who are out to destroy the government of the United States and all of its uh Western allies and alliances and agencies and institutions. So, to Matt Taibbi. All right. No hero to me. All right. Uh, Quote, The process for producing the Twitter files involved delivery to two journalists, Barry Weiss and me, via a lawyer close to new management. However, after the initial batch, things became complicated. Taibbi went on. Quote, over the weekend, while we both dealt with obstacles to new searches, it was Barry Weiss who discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was someone named Jim. When she called to ask Jim's last name, the answer came back, Jim Baker. Ooh, Quote, my jaw hit the floor, said Weiss, and not apparently at being called a journalist, years after she stomped out of the New York Times to peddle kuelit level clickbait for conservatives on substack and open a fake university for the martyrs of cancel culture who get shunned on real campuses for being insufferable blanks james baker not the former secretary of state was a career federal prosecutor who joined the justice department during the first bush administration and rose to general counsel of the fbi in 2014 got pushed out by FBI director Chris Wray in 2017, and was hired by Twitter in June of 2020. He's a, quote, controversial figure, Tabby assures us, but Tabby isn't really a details man, so instead he leaves it to Jonathan Turley, who will happily slime anyone if it feeds his narrative that evil deep state Democrats tried to murder Trump with the Russia investigation. Republicans have long had a blank. To do locker ups to Baker, but the closest they ever got was John Durham's indictment of DNC attorney Michael Sussman for supposedly lying to Baker about the Alpha Bank server in the basement of Trump Towers. And that debacle wound up debacle wound up with an acquittal. <clears throat> now they're hoping to create enough confusion by shouting Baker's name and pretending that it proves that Twitter is biased against conservatives, absent any actual facts. And it seems that I've run out of time, so all I'll have to say is this has been the Servative Hour. Thank you very much for listening, and good night to you all.